0: right how does that look looks great beautiful all right welcome everybody Uh, my name's wilson i am actually a trained ecologist but went back to university about 20 years ago and studied aquaponics at university so been doing it for about 20 years and what i'm going to talk to you about today is a methodology i developed probably about 12, 13 years ago now, where you can actually manipulate nutrient solutions to meet the requirements of the plants that you have. So I think when I just dropped in there at the end, I heard someone, I think it was Lloyd, talking about being able to do nutrient analysis on your aquaponic water and then using that as a tool so that you're not over... Um, dosing with external nutrients to the system and you can get the most efficient approach out of things. So that's really interesting because that's actually what I do. And I'll take you through the method that I use because I use a, I use what's called a precision nutrient mass balance method. Um, and it helps you size systems and it also helps you operate them in the. them. So let's get into it. So like I said, I've got a degree in ecology. I went away and worked for 15 years as an aquatic ecologist. And then um, I went back to uni and did a PhD. And because I studied ecology, I saw what was happening in the wild with nutrient outflows from both aquaculture facilities on the land as well as hydroponic facilities. So I decided to study aquaponics. I thought I'd invented it until I started doing some reading, which I hadn't. But um, my PhD was specifically around studying the nutrient dynamics of aquaponic systems and trying to use that information along with a whole series of experiments that I did to try and make the process more efficient. What I saw at the time 21, 22 years ago was that Um, there wasn't really a lot of optimization of aquaponic systems at the time and people were spending a lot of money on a fish component and producing a lot of waste product so I thought if I can find the correct balance and cut down the fish component as, as much as possible it removes a lot of the capital expenditure of the fish component it removes a lot of the ongoing operational cost of the fish component and you still get the same plant outcome from it and To me, that made economic sense because even in a normal commercial aquaponic system, 80 plus percent of your income actually comes from plants rather than it does from fish. So I developed this precision aquaponic sizing and management model after I'd run my own aquaponic farm for about four years. And and during, and during that time is where I tested it. So in my PhD, I did the initial work, then I developed the model And then I tested it on a commercial scale in my own system. And then I tested it in New Zealand at a commercial NFT hydroponic farm. And I still do some research today. And what I actually look at now is getting rid of the fish completely. And I look at alternate sources of hydroponic nutrients that, that, that are organic in nature. So not mineral nutrients. So aquaponics is pretty persistent, right? It's been around for a large number of years um Jim Ricosi started his work in the late 70s early 80s so it's been around 40 years um but commercial success it still seems to be elusive to me you don't see a lot of it there are a couple of large farms where people have done it correctly and and they're going well outside of that it's mostly small owner operated family businesses and now it's started to enter the realm of cannabis production which makes a lot of sense because you're probably entering a financial and business realm that can support aquaponic technology better in terms of making the profit out of it. So the lack of success in the mainstream aquaponic realm is usually due to the fact that most of the people that get into it have no business skills whatsoever and don't understand business. They've been wage earners all their life. They don't know how to run a business. But there's also technical issues as well. And and efficiency is one of those. So you spend a whole lot of money on fish and growing them and you put a whole whole lot of time and effort into the fish and they really return you hardly any profit. And then you're trying to get your plants to grow off the fish, it's not working. That's all, they're all technical um, requirements. So even in the start in 1998, my approach was to develop a technical outcome that was based on the business or financial requirement, which is, Make as much profit as possible and have as small inputs financially as you can. And that leads to technical optimization. So, in a financially viable context, technical optimization will allow you the best chance of actually making money and having financial success. So, whilst I'm a, I'm a scientist and everything that I do was pushed by the science, and I only do science, I do a little bit of economic modeling, but I don't really have a clue. Um, It was actually driven by the requirement to make money out of this, not just for it to work technically, but have no commercial success. So I developed a model. And the first thing that comes up is what is an actual model? Um, So a model in a scientific sense is a specific way or method to design and operate something in an agricultural sense, in a controlled agriculture sense, it's a specific way or method to design and operate a closed environment, closed culture, aquatic system. It's not the hardware. The hardware comes into it to a small extent. Yes, you need particular things, but it's how that hardware goes together. And more importantly, It's how you balance the fish component with the plant component and how you actually manage the system in a hands-on way to get the best out of it. And that's what a model allows. A model allows you to put in inputs and get outputs that say, I need to build this, this size. I need to operate it in this manner. And if I do that, I'll have an optimized outcome. So in real terms, The model is actually the software. It's not the hardware, it's not the screen, it's not the keyboard, it's not the processor. It's the actual software, hopefully more reliable than Windows and Microsoft, but let's not go into that. So it's things like the methods, the ratios that you use, the management, the feeding rate ratios, following your nutrients, seeing what's happening with those. So the best example of a model is the UVI aquaponic system and it's defined by its feeding rate ratio. And that is the biggest part of the model. Yes, it uses specific hardware. And there is a particular way that the hardware goes together. You have fish tanks, you have particular types of filters, blah, blah, blah. But the real importance of it and the thing that makes it a good model is the actual feeding rate ratio and how that lets you to determine the size of the fish component compared to the plant component and the management technique, which in terms of UBI is test your pH, watch it fall every day, add potassium and calcium-based buffer to bring it back up and use a feeding rate ratio that oversupplies most of the nutrients that the plants need. So the entire thing is a model. And that's where I stepped into play because I was like, it's wasting nutrients. The, the UVI system is, it oversupplies nutrients to the plants because it try it does that because it knows that if you try to balance the most abundant nutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus, the other ones will be missing. So it oversupplies some nutrients so it makes sure that the others are there. But that's not efficient. You're, you're getting oversupply of some nutrients and undersupply of others. So I decided to have a look at this and do something about it. So we all know the UBI system, I think. It's a floating raft technique, which is can be used with cannabis. I don't I, for me it's not my preferred methodology um, because you have to put trellising up and you're using large volumes of water, so you can't be as exact about things. But I won't go too much into that. You can ask questions about that at the end if you want. So what is aquaponics really about? There's there's a lot of hubbub and hoo-ha on the internet and I'm forever getting emails from people saying, this is what the internet says. And I'm having to reply and say, that's a load of rubbish. Why are you reading the internet? We all know it's full of rubbish. But aquaponics is about some basic stuff. Fish eat and produce waste, just like you and I. And plants have evolved on this planet to take advantage of the wastes that animals produce, whether they're herbivores, lions, cats, dogs, birds or fish, doesn't matter. Plants have evolved to use those waste outputs to grow. So what this means is aquaponics is about aquatic nutrient cycling and nothing else. It's about the amount of nutrient that you add to to the closed system and the amount of nutrient that gets used by the plants. This is exactly the same as a hydroponic system. That's the only difference is in an aquaponic system, we try to get the fish to do as much of the work as possible in terms of adding the nutrients to the system. But realistically, if you go back one step, you're just adding fish feed anyway. And to be honest with you, you can just add fish feed to a bioreactor, process it, and you can feed that to plants as well, and you get the same outcome. All the fish does, all the fish really is is a bioreactor that's in line in this system. There's many important, there's many other important things in aquaponics to get it right, like the hardware, the environment, the climate, getting the right cream, greenhouse, the chemistry, my big one, the microbiology. You've got to have sun to grow plants, species that you're growing microbiology, a whole lot of different things but the crux of aquaponics is nutrient dynamics and nutrient sharing. How much nutrient goes in each day, how much gets used. So any aquaponics system method that does not concentrate on nutrients will never lead to a predictable repeatable or efficient outcome and this is a bit of a bug there of mine because you still read things on the internet about oh you know you need this much surface area to that much volume and it's all rubbish. Complete rubbish. It's about nutrients in versus nutrient uptake by plants. That's it. Yes, other things follow on from that in terms of surface areas and volumes because there are some basic requirements, but that's not what the crux of working out the balance is based on. This is aquaponics in a graphical form. To the left, there is the fish feed. You feed it to the fish, the fish produces waste. Those wastes get converted either systematically within the water, which is just a natural process, or by the microbiota present, into elements, nitrogen, phosphorus, sulphur, potassium, calcium, calcium, magnesium, and all the others. And then you it either goes to three different places. Well, it's actually four, but it's either uptaken by the microbes, and they don't use a lot of it. They do a lot of the converting work, but they don't actually use a lot of it. It can just stay in the water. Some of it always just stays in the water. The thing that's not presented there is some of it can off gas into the atmosphere, but the vast majority of it goes into the plant tissues, and that's where we want it to go. So that's how you design a system, based on that nutrient flow dynamic. So I started my studies in the year 2000 at a university in Melbourne, and I did a series of short-term experiments in replicated aquaponic systems. I had 12 individual systems that were all exactly the same so that I could do replication, get the statistics right. That's what science is all about. And the experiments were designed to isolate specific parameters within the aquaponic process and then optimise them. So I looked at the hydroponic component and how it worked, you know, media culture versus deep flow culture versus NFT. I looked at pH, different pHs, nutrient concentrations at the start, you know, what happens when you have no nutrient in the water at the start? What happens when you've got 50 milligrams per liter of nitrate in the system at the start? And a spectrum between those two the flow rates of water past the plant roots, buffer species that you use and a whole lot of other stuff and optimize them all individually. And then at the end, I put them all together, did an idealized system again and tested again. And the percentage difference between the start, which is where I probably used all the worst approaches you could possibly use, mostly taken from information from the internet at the time, the increase in efficiency was vast as one example you know um my plant growth bed was using 4 or 5 liters of water a day in transpiration through the plants at the start by the end it was using about half a liter and plant transpiration is an indicator of health of the plant the less the plant transpires the less stress it's under The more it transpires means that it's under stress, it's trying to get rid of toxins, it's trying to uptake more nutrient, it's trying to air condition the atmosphere around it, a whole lot of different things, but it's a sign of stress. So if you can lower transpiration rates, you're increasing the efficiency of the system. So then I applied that model to a small commercial farm that I built with a business partner in Melbourne here, and we ran the farm for four years. And during that time, I introduced a few other ideas that I'd had outside of the model that I'd developed. The biggest one being solids mineralization. So this was around 2007. I started aerobically mineralizing solids and releasing the nutrients and putting them back into the system. And then that, as an entity in terms of nutrient dynamics, that was plugged into my overall model because those nutrients contribute And I looked at a few other things. Electrical conductivity as a nutrient management tool. There's still people around today in aquaponics saying you can't use EC in aquaponics as a management tool because it doesn't give you an idea of all of the nutrients in the system and it doesn't, but it gives you an idea of the average strength of the available nutrients in the system and that's important. So you can use it as long as you understand it. And the other thing that I came up with was customized buffer formulation. So going way beyond just the potassium and the calcium-based buffer, but actually looking at how can I write a mathematical model that allows me to predict what the plants need based on the specific requirement of a species of plant and then adding that to the system via the buffer. And then I did field trials in New Zealand and basically showed comprehensively that if you do aquaponics right you can actually grow plants faster and larger than you can in hydroponics, standard hydroponics. So th- th- these are some of the things I did on the left is my PhD setup, up small replicated systems and then on the right are the fish tanks and some of the plants growing in, in the New Zealand facility where I did some larger scale trials. Let's talk about hydroponics as a standard for a minute because everyone in aquaponics seems to say it's, it's a hydroponic method, So especially one group of scientists in Europe are very much on this ball of hydroponic is the standard. We must aspire to that when we're doing aquaponics. So hydroponics is still the aspirational standard for aquaponics in most places. Sorry about that. Am I still there? Because my internet cuts off when the phone rings. All good? All good. Okay, so it's argued by these people that you've got to have a low pH in aquaponics, just like you do in hydroponics. And it's argued that you've got to have high electrical conductivity or nutrient strength, just like you do in hydroponics. these arguments ignore and so these people they spend a lot of money and do a lot of scientific work trying to meet those standards and the big one for me is that these people talk at conferences or online like this and what comes out of their mouth is always there's this huge compromise in aquaponics between what the pH of the fish and what the pH of the plants is. The the plants require a pH of 5 and the fish require a pH of 7.5 so There's a huge compromise, it's never gonna work properly and so we decouple the systems and blah, blah, blah. I'm sure you've all heard it. But those arguments ignore one key difference. Hydroponics is a sterile system. There's no microbiology in it. It's purposely sterilized to keep the microbiology out. So everything that's occurring in a hydroponic system is based on mineral chemistry as opposed to an aquaponic system which is full of a myriad of mixture of microorganisms from bacteria all the way through to fungi. And those bacteria and fungi are the same bacteria and fungi that you find in soil. And they've all evolved to work together with plants so that they can get nutrients into the plant. So if they're there in an aquaponic system, it means it's not just based on mineral chemistry anymore. It's actually based on biochemistry, which is completely different. These bugs help the plant. They, they, they turn the nutrients into something the plant can uptake easily. That looks different to a mineral nutrient. It, it might be a potassium ion for potassium in a hydroponic tomato culture facility, but it might be some other form of potassium in an aquaponic system and the plant still gets access to it. So it's very different. The, the overarching thing for me is that myself and plenty of other scientists have actually proven that aquaponics can grow plants just as well as hydroponics. And that's mostly been done in aquaponic systems where there was little pH control and they were closed loop systems. So it was the same pH of around seven. The ECs were low, you know, everyone runs aquaponic systems at very low standard average nutrient levels. Still, we get the same plant growth. So you can make an argument, oh, well, it's not as good as hydroponics and we need to aspire to that. But the actual facts say, fairly categorically, it grows things just as well. So why are you bothering with these arguments about pH and EC? I I don't get it myself, but anyway. We've all seen this. Anyone with a background in hydroponics has seen the nutrient availability list based on pH. What a lot of people don't know is this is not from hydroponics. This is from soil science. This, this was worked out in the 1930s. So it's the same thing, but those people that worked this out, how did they work it out? Well, they did soil-based scientific analysis. And what you do in science is you try to cut out a whole lot of variables. So they just sterilized the soil, got rid of all the microorganisms, worked out this chart. It's the same in soil. You can have a higher pH and it's not going to affect the plant. They still get access to the nutrient because you've got all the bugs in there. Just think about it. So I've made an argument to say that in, you know, aquaponics, the aspirational standard of a low pH and high nutrient levels is not important to aquaponics. But the one thing I will say is that nutrient proportion is important. If you've got so much nitrogen, you should have so much potassium. You should have so much calcium, you should have so much phosphorus. And these proportions are what hydroponic methodologies can actually feed into aquaponics as important information. Let's take nitrogen to phosphorus as an example, just so you understand what I'm saying. If you want to grow a lettuce, You want to have about four to five times as much nitrogen present as nitrate as you do phosphorus as phosphate. That's a given, right? It's a good proportion. It's somewhere in there. It's different for different species, I know, but let's say four to five times the amount of nitrate as there is phosphate in the water. So if you've got 20 milligrams per litre of phosphate, you want between 80 and 100 nitrate. That's the good proportion that makes the plant grow well. And the reason for that is that if you pull plants apart and you pull their cells apart and see what the proportions of nitrogen and phosphorus are in the cell, it's about the same ratio. So that's why they like taking them up in those ratios. So we can use this information to feed into aquaponics because the better you get, the closer the ratios are to what actually happens in nature and what the plant uses to build itself, the more efficient the process is gonna be. Because if there's too much of one nutrient for a plant compared to others, or there's not enough, the plant has to do more work. And that means it puts more energy into working rather than it does growing. Also, as most people know with a background in hydroponics as well, nutrients are antagonistic to each other in a chemical sense. So they can compete with each other. So for example, if you have high phosphorus or as phosphate in an aquatic system, it can lower the availability of zinc and iron uptake in plants just because there's too much phosphate. If there's too much potassium, that can lower the ability of the plant to uptake and use potassium, nitrogen, calcium, magnesium, iron and zinc. That's a lot, just from having the wrong proportion of potassium in the system. Therefore, proportion is very important. And so that's what my model is also based on, getting the proportions of nutrients right compared to each other, the relativity. It's not strength. It's just the proportion of one to the other. Here's a list of antagonisms. Other people will have seen this before, you know. There's a lot of antagonism there in in plants in terms of what they can uptake if something else is too high. So I developed this process, I called it Symbioponics. I know it's a rubbish name, don't worry about that. You know, I don't know anything about marketing, I've admitted that. Excuse me for a minute, I need a drink. So I developed this method to meet the plant nutrient requirement in the most efficient way possible. The fact of the matter is in an aquaponics system, the most abundant element besides carbon is nitrogen. Plants eat, uh, fish eat a lot of protein-based feed. Protein's full of nitrogen. They don't use nitrogen in themselves to build their cells that much compared to how much of it they eat. So they release a lot of it as waste. And they actually release it via a different pathway than they do most of the other things that they eat. So most fish release most of their wastes as solid waste or poop. And most of the nutrients besides nitrogen are tied up in the poop, but they release so much nitrogen that they had to find in the past another pathway to get rid of it. So they actually expire it across their gills as a gas and it directly dissolves into the water. That occurs because there is so much nitrogen in what fish eat. So nitrogen is by far the most abundant. So that's where I started. Balance the amount of nitrogen that the fish releases as a waste on a daily basis with the amount of nitrogen a plant needs to uptake. Now, people would say they've heard this before. Oh, we've heard about nitrate balancing in aquaponic systems. You know, you just test your nitrate and as long as it's stable, then blah, blah, blah. It's not nitrate. There's a whole lot of other nitrogen species in an aquaponic system besides nitrate. And the model I've developed actually takes all of those forms of nitrogen into consideration. And this is the major reason why my model works more efficiently than just nitrate balancing models because there's actually a lot more nitrogen available and I take that into account. Okay. Models calculate the deficient nutrients and builds a customized buffer. So what does that mean? The model looks at the amount of waste nutrients the fish release, releases, all of it. That includes, take the solid waste, put it in a mineralization tank, release the nutrients from that waste and put it back into the water. It includes everything that the fish produces. Then it looks at what the plant uses on a daily basis. And it's different for every species, right? A tomato, for example, uses a far different ratio of Nitrogen to potassium as it does as a lettuce plant does. So it takes that into consideration. So you, you put some inputs into it based on what plant that you're going to grow and what fish feed you're using and how efficiently the the fish convert that fish feed and what waste profile they release. And then you use that to balance with what the plants take up every day. And then as most people know, there'll be some deficiencies. There'll be some nutrients that need to be added because there's not enough of them in the fish feed. And then the way that I get those nutrients in there, the pathway of addition is just via the buffering process. Every day you need to buffer the system to control the pH where you want it. And you use specific inputs of specific salts to bring it back up, but it's tiny. So the UBI system was fairly efficient, right? It it adds about 80% of the nutrition for the plants from the fish. And then the other 20% is added as buffer salts when you buffer the system. I'm I'm working at about 95%. So 95% of the nutrition from for the plant comes from the fish waste, which comes from the fish food that was added at the start. And about 5% or less comes from the actual other elements that I add, just to make up those tiny differences. And the model works all of this out. And then I've tested it all. So let's have a look at it in more detail. And and it's broken up into a number of sub-models. The first sub-model is component sizing model. So this lets you size the two major components of the system, the fish component and the plant component. You've got to know the daily feed rate, That allows you to size the aquaculture component and then you know the number of plants supported and that allows you to size the hydroponic component. And this all comes from the information you input, which I'll show you in a minute so you understand. But it's a mathematical model. It goes into an algorithm and it spits out an answer for you. The additional information, there's a lot of it. You've got to know a lot of different things. This is not simple. This is nutrient dynamics you've got to cover off on a lot of stuff so you know what's happening. Things that my model don't even take into consideration, which they probably should is the amount of sunlight that gets to the leaf every day, the air temperature, what the humidity is, none of that's taken into consideration. It's just looked at as an idealized system based on the aquatics. And then you've got to put that into an idealized system to grow things well. That doesn't mean that you need your Dutch glass house to do this. You can do it in anywhere, but it just means if you do it in a Dutch glass house, you'll get optimized efficiency. If you do it outside, then the, the, the efficiency drops off, but that doesn't mean that the way the model work changes. So this is what it looks like. You've got some basic inputs. You need the plant species that you're gonna grow. In this example, we've chosen lettuce. And most lettuce use similar sorts of nutrient profiles, but I do specifically notice a difference between small head fancy lettuce and then your larger varieties like romaine, iceberg, those sorts of things. So the model takes that into account. There's two lettuce types in it. The fish feed brand, the brand doesn't really matter, but what is the fish feed? So let's just say it's a generic tilapia feed. We're growing tilapia in our system. The feed protein level is highly important because that's where all the nitrogen comes from. So you must know that. And you just input it as a percentage because that's how feed manufacturers quote the the amount of protein in the fish feed. They also quote the amount of phosphorus nowadays. They have to by law because of environmental impact. So you put the phosphorus level in. And then most importantly, you've got to know at what feed conversion efficiency the fish will use that feed. The more efficient a fish is at eating feed and converting it, the less waste comes out and that means less plants you can grow. Now tilapia, they're vegetarian omnivores so they don't eat a high protein content. They're not very efficient. For every 1.3 kilograms of feed that you feed to a tilapia, you only get one kilogram of growth out of it. The fish I use, Murray Cod, Barramundi, it's one-to-one. You add a kilogram of feed, you get a kilogram of wet weight put on in the fish. My fish, therefore, are more efficient. So they actually release less waste by mass. But tilapia eats 32% protein feed. My fish eat 45, so there's far more nitrogen in there already. So you've got to know how these things are relative to each other so that you can actually work out what the actual nitrogen output of the system is. Then then the model gives you a sizing output, which is on the right. So you input how many kilograms a day of this particular fish feed, feeding it to this fish species, growing this type of plant with an expected feed conversion ratio out of the fish of 1.3. You add 2.6 kilograms, the model spits out all of those different plant types and how many individual plants you can grow. And I chose those plant types because they're common plants in hydroponic culture. And if you want to compete on a financial level with aquaponics, you've got to compete in a marketplace where you can actually compete. It's no use growing bananas in aquaponics because someone's growing them in the soil for 10 cents a banana somewhere, and you're not going to do that in aquaponics. But all of these species that I list are grown hydroponically very regularly. They draw a higher price in the market so you can actually compete. So the model spits out. If you want to grow a large head lettuce like a romaine, 5,000. Or mini, 5,750. If you want to grow fancy herbs, they're smaller. They don't use as much nutrient. 8,000. 8, Tomatoes, large plant produces a lot of biomass by fruit, needs a lot of nutrient to grow. 500 and odd cucumbers, bell peppers, eggplant, strawberry, etc. I can actually enter any plant I like into the model. It's just that these are examples that I've got there. The second part of it is the buffer formulation. So we've worked out what size fish component we need to grow a particular number of plants that we grow. And that's the way I do it because most people come to me and they say, I'm gonna build a half acre greenhouse. I can fit 60,000 heads of lettuce in there or whatever it is. I need to know how many fish can support that. They don't usually do it the other way, but it can work the other way. So you can do it both ways in the model. The second outcome is to grow those lettuce optimally so they grow the fastest they possibly can. And the outcome is nice and uniform, like in a normal commercial situation, where you're getting the same biomass per head, pretty much for everyone that you grow. you need to know that you're meeting the plant's requirement. And this is what the second part does. It pulls apart what nutrients the plant needs. It looks, it compares those nutrients to what's coming out of the fish feed as a waste product. And then it says you need these nutrients, these particular nutrients as a little bit extra so that you can make the profile correct so the plant is growing optimally in the optimal nutrient profile that it needs. And like I said, the way I add those nutrients is just simple. You've got a buffer every day because all good, properly designed aquaponic systems should have a daily pH ball in them. That's what tells you it's operating correctly. So you've got to add a buffer to keep that pH back up where you want it. And you just channel in the other nutrients with that buffer. So this makes the buffer formula... The thing that tweaks it all to get it to the point where you need it to be perfect. The buffer formulas, they're the common salts that are around and available to you on the agricultural market. So I can change what the inputs are for the buffer formulas because someone in Australia might be able to get access to potassium hydroxide and someone somewhere else might not be able to get it. And so you can put in something else or You might be growing a plant like a tomato where it uses a lot of potassium where it's flowering and fruiting. And so you actually need a strong potassium base in that situation like potassium hydroxide. But if you're growing lettuce, they don't use anywhere near as much potassium. So you can use a weaker base based on potassium like potassium carbonate or bicarbonate. So the model takes all of this into consideration. I just input what's available and it spits out the right proportion. So this is an example of a buffer formulation output. Calcium hydroxide, you need that much. Potassium carbonate, you need that much. Magnesium sulphate, you need that much. Magnesium chloride, potassium phosphate. And it just spits them out as weights because that's how you measure these things out. And it's just proportionality, right? If you say to me, you look at that and it's only gonna make up three, four, you know, about 500, 600 grams, and I'm gonna go through that in a day, Wilson, then I just say, well, we multiply by 100 and mix it up. You still got the same proportionality in the nutrients. That's what's important. The model takes all of that into consideration and spits out the answer. So just some additional notes. The model does contain a self-check for me so it goes through and it look it calculates all the desired proportions of one nutrient to the other and then it goes through itself and checks itself and if a proportion is incorrect at the end I know something's gone wrong so it's got a check in it. You can change the buffer salts like I said so you can do it based on what's easily and cheaply available to you in your local area it allows you to get to use different nutrient proportions and establish those for different plant stages. Now, this is where it becomes important for something like cannabis because cannabis is like tomato. It has a vegetative growth stage where you want to put leaf biomass into the plant so that it can produce the energy later on to produce the flower head that requires a lot of nitrogen but not a lot of potassium however when you want to switch that plant over to then growing and producing flower heads you want to elevate the potassium level. my system lets you do that in an aquaponic system you just change over yes there's a little bit of a lag period and there's different ways to get around that but if you use something that is not a deep flow technique with low water volumes, then you can switch a plant across from vegetated growth to flowering growth in less than a week. It allows any system to be changed to different fish and plant choices. So if you're growing tilapia and all of a sudden you're saying to yourself, I'm making no money and I actually can't get rid of them and all that I'm doing is taking them outside and burying them in the paddock, which for me is where they probably belong. I'm going to grow barramundi, it's a higher protein-eating fish, you've got to go through all of those calculations. Again, no, Wilson will just chuck it through the model and he'll say instead of having to feed 2.6 kilograms per day to your tilapia, you only need two kilograms per day now to feed your barramundi. So you can change things, you can make changes. If you grow lettuce and you like I can grow herbs and make a lot more money, you can just change it over. And the model just lets me put in the new inputs and it adapts the existing system. It can be used in fully recirculating or traditional aquaponic systems or what a lot of people call proper aquaponic systems, but we won't go into that. Or you can use it in intercoupled designs. It doesn't matter. It works a lot better than the current decoupled models. As an example, I still think the best decoupled aquaponics system models around now are still adding somewhere around 30 to 40% of external nutrition for the plant. That means external nutrients going in 30 to 40%. My system is 5% or less. And it provides a simple method to manage a complex aquaponic system. It's easy, you measure the pH every day, everything else is done for you, you just add your specific buffer salt and you control the pH and you know that the plants are getting the right proportions of nutrients. Now you can also set the nutrient strength feed the fish more for a few days and the nutrient strength will go up, feed them less, it'll go down. So you can do that as well. The pH, it's your choice. I run my systems at around 6.8 usually. There's no perceived compromise. You can run it wherever you think is best, but I like it at 6.8 because it's good for the fish still. It's below that seven mark, which means you are avoiding some chemistry of some potentially harmful ammonia. And fish like it, plants, no worries with it. It can be easily automated as well, adding buffer. EC, it's your choice again. Most people who run aquaponics run it at a lower EC, far lower than hydroponics, usually somewhere around a quarter to a third. Again, you can manage it yourself and decide where you want it. Low ECs meet equal happier fish. And if you're adding nutrient every day and it's in the right proportions, and you're meeting the plant requirement in terms of the amount or mass of nutrient, then you can run systems of very low ECs and everything's hunky-dory. It's tailored to the plant, but we also need to help the fish. So you can adjust your EC up and down to wherever you want it. So something like lettuce, you know, normal commercial hydroponic productions around 2000 or two and a half thousand in winter, I'm run, I run mine at 500, 600, no worries at all. The advantages, fully recirculating or decoupled technology can be used. It can be applied to that. It's ultra low nutrient supplementation. This says 10%, I'm I'm down at 5% now. Most decouples operate at 40% or greater, like I said. It's low water use because the plants aren't stressed. And like I said at the start of the speech or talk, Plants show stress via transpiration rate. So if they're more stressed, they transpire more water. So my systems use very small amounts of water because the plants are happy. They're getting access to all the nutrients that they want. They've got the microorganisms helping them out. They don't need to transpire a lot of water. No water exchange, as everyone knows in aquaponics, we don't exchange water, but I ran my commercial system as a farm operating commercial farm and I didn't actually remove any water from it myself physically for over three years. Just topped it up every day. And customization of nutrient profiles, it allows that. So you can you can customise your nutrient profile to wherever you want it and wherever you think it's best for your particular plant. And as we know you know with cannabis culture lots of people have their own ideas of what the nutrient proportions or mixture should be. You can do that. So. The model allows you to precisely size the two main components. It provides a method to maintain the specific nutrient proportions that you require. System management is simple. You feed the fish and adjust the pH daily. And the method can be applied to aquaponic system design, any design, fully recirculating or decoupled. And it provides advanced plant growth and quality. Just resources for you. I've got a book for sale called Commercial Aquaponic Systems, which is a 400-plus page book. It, It goes through how to design a system, not based on my methodology, but just the generic method. But it goes into a whole lot of aquaculture stuff, design, engineering, biology, ecology, chemistry, the works. So you can buy that. And then there's a free guide to my method that I'm outlining to you today. And in that guide, at the end of it, there's actually some tables with some idealized nutrient proportions in them. So if you grow those particular plants and fish, it's actually in that, and that book's for free. You can download it from my website. They're my contact details. If you need to contact me, always like to hear from people. And I'll open up to questions and I'll try and unshare my screen. (laughs) Oh,
1: that was great. Um
0: How do
1: I unshare it? Oh, stop sharing, big red button. Okay, there we go. How do we get questions? uh, So we got some questions from chat. Uh, Feel free to add your questions if you haven't asked them already. Um, Someone asked, um, can plants adjust the pH of the environment in their rhizosphere in aquatic environments the same way they can in soil? Yes. So... When a
0: plant takes up a nutrient and if it takes up a negatively charged iron, it will release something called bicarbonate and bicarbonate will change the pH in the water and plants actually do it at the, at the root surface to actually, like the questioner said, manipulate the pH at their root surface so that they can make it idealised for themselves but they also do it so that they can get rid of charge potential inside their root. So if they're taking up a lot of negative ions, which is what happens in a hydroponic system, then they'll release a lot of bicarbonate because they've got to, bicarbonate is negatively charged as well. They've got to balance that with inside their root. You know, if they take up too much negative, it's going to be too negative in there and it'll over overpower the positive. And so they want that to be balanced, the positive to the negative. And so they release it as bicarbonate, and that's the way that they can manipulate the water around them. So, yes, they do it. They do do the same as they do in soil.
1: Um, What uh, fish species do you recommend for commercial uh, operations?
0: Well, it depends on where you're located. I'm going to assume most people listening are in the USA. Tilapia is the available fish and it's the easy fish to grow, you know, you can pull it out of the tank and drop it on the ground and hit it with a shovel and then put it back in and it swims off, so it's pretty tough. But it brings no money in the marketplace. I understand now that Barramundi is available in the US. It's a far better fish species and it's selling for five or six times the price on the wholesale market, so that's what I would be using. But it all depends on the size of your operation and what your financial thrust is. So A lot of people that grow say cannabis in aquaponics, they're going to make all their money out of the cannabis, right? So the fish are really there as nutrient generators. So you could even use something like koi if you wanted to. So it really depends on your geographical situation, what fish species are available and what your financial outlook for your business is in terms of how much money you want to make out of the fish or whether you have an expectation to make money out of the fish.
1: Is there any fish you'd uh, say definitely don't use or that were just highly problematic in your testing?
0: Um, yeah, there's there's only a couple of species. A lot of species in culture, in aquaculture, are salmon-based species, right? Atlantic salmon, Pacific salmon, rainbow trout, brown trout, steelhead, king salmon, chinooks. In my experience, the only real cell monitor that goes well in aquaponics is rainbow trout because it can handle some higher temperatures. Most of the other species like a temperature below 12 degrees or lower, right? Rainbow trout, I've kept rainbow trout up to 20 degrees and they're okay. So I would say you probably need to avoid those species of fish that can't handle the temperature profile
1: that you're
0: requiring out of your system. But if you can grow it in aquaculture, you can grow it in aquaponics.
1: Someone asked, have there been studies on saltwater aquaponic fish systems or drafting cannabis onto plants able to grow on a saltwater basis? Um, I know that there's, I've definitely seen people present on, on brackish water, but I don't think anyone's doing anything in saltwater unless you know of something I know.
0: No, no, I've, I've never heard of that. Um, I, I don't get it. <laughs> Again, an aquaponics enterprise is all about the plants usually, so... Just choose a freshwater fish. <laughs> if you want to grow saltwater fish, go do something in the ocean. <laughs> you know, grafting. Why? Why would you? I guess. I guess the approach is it's a it's a salt tolerant
1: rootstock and blah, blah 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 I don't get any of that. I mean, do you? Any is there any um, crops that you'd recommend for or definitely against in aquaponics that you, in your trials? You know, you've grown quite a diverse, different type of uh, uh, crops over the years.
0: Yeah, well, like I said, in normal commercial culture, I'd grow all of those ones that can compete directly with hydroponics. Don't don't comp- don't try and compete with soil farmers. They do it far less for far less, and cannabis grow cannabis <laughs> I, I i don't know about you but it goes for a bomb in australia but that's because you can't get it legally but um you know even even the legal cannabis market it's gone for a great price compared to other crops that wins by country mark so
1: yeah we uh we just had a, a breeder from australia on uh on the panel right before you, you were on. So I uh, definitely know all about that stuff. Uh, uh, and the, oh, look,
0: everyone knows the smartest people are in Australia. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: uh, is there any other um, uh, maybe um, myths you'd like to dispel about aquaponics uh, here while we're wrapping up?
0: Yeah, my, my, my major one to wrap up with is that Aquaponics is not 90% more efficient in water use than every other farming system. That's not true. What it is, is it's 90% or more more efficient than recirculating aquaculture in terms of water use. But as as we all know, water use in plant-based systems is all based on the transpirational rate of the plant. And I've seen plenty of aquaponics systems where lots of water is being wasted to the atmosphere on a daily basis so yes it's probably more efficient than soil just because soil can percolate water through it and it can disappear but outside of that i wish everyone would just forget that one myth <laughs> let it go i know everyone uses a selling point but it's not true
1: and it originally came from uh, dr ricosi who actually talked about that when he was on the show about how he was misquoted when when they quoted him on that so
0: yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: So, um, uh, any other advice you have for people getting started in Australia with their aquaponics systems and resources?
0: Yeah, there's not much aquaponics going on in Australia now. Um, okay, we're not as entrepreneurial as other people around the world, so we we don't we don't we don't bet on something unless it's a safe bet. <laughs> um so no there's not there's not a lot of advice i can give to people in australia or anywhere else there's there's lots of resources around the best advice i can give people is be careful of what you read and what it says and and look for good scientific sources
1: well i've definitely had the pleasure of reading your uh, commercial aquaponic cannabis book uh, about one and a half times uh, flying over oceans and it's definitely a great book if you guys are looking for uh, you know, a a full uh, book that really covers a lot of the major points on commercial aquaponic design uh, and methodology and theory. It really is a great book that he has uh, and you can get that uh, on his website. What was uh, your website again? I'll throw it up here on the screen. Um, It's
0: www.aquaponic.com.au.
1: Right here, I'll make sure everybody uh, can find you. There we go.
0: Yeah, that's it. <laughs> the most modern website in the world. <laughs> that's
1: all right. It's better than mine. Mine's mine's <laughs> way out of date. Yeah.
0: It hasn't changed much in the last five years. I know that. <laughs> all right. I still I still do commercial designs for people if people want commercial designs and I don't I don't I'll be honest, I don't get a lot of work nowadays because COVID stopped me from traveling overseas and it's completely fair enough that clients want people to come to site and and now there's a lot of choices of other people in the US as well. So I don't hear from a lot of people now because it costs some money for me to fly over there and they don't want to pay it. So which is understandable again. Although cannabis growers should do it because they seem to have access to a good amount of capital <laughs> anyway that's enough advertising
1: Well, oh, no i uh, we we definitely like supporting the people that take the time to educate people and that's part of the part of the reason for doing the conference is to help Uh, turn people on to other people that are putting education out there like you do uh, and giving people some some free resources that they can utilize as well so uh, thank you for for doing that and uh, and we really very much appreciate it and very much appreciate you taking the time to uh, to join us all the way from Australia
0: thanks for having me it was great very enjoyable and yeah I appreciate you
1: inviting me so thanks yeah much appreciated thanks a lot and uh Definitely looking forward to uh, speaking with you again in the future.